Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of Hey Horka on this Monday following Notre Dame's dramatic win over Duke, 21-14. to 14. My name is Darren Pritchett from Sports Radio 960 WSBT in South Bend. I've got a hockey game on Saturday to call. I'm blown away by that as we are halfway almost through the Notre Dame football season. Man, it goes by so quickly. We've got Tyler Horka, of course, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, back from Durham as he was on site for the 95-yard march for the game-winning touchdown. And, you know, Tyler, this is one of those games where I think Irish fans have all different sorts of opinions. And I love reading everybody's opinions and hearing their opinions. This, to me, from my standpoint, had you told me in the summer they would have just beaten Duke after what would have happened in the Ohio State game, I would have taken it, no questions asked. And I still feel that way. Road win, Power 5 conference, ranked team at night, that is still a great win. It is hard to win on the road. Now, were there blemishes and imperfections? Absolutely. We cannot just deny those things. But at the end of the day, man, after that Ohio State game, just winning has to feel really good to the players and the coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're a betting person, which I'm sure a lot of people on here are these days, it's the year 2023. Notre Dame covered in that football game, which was uh, pretty impressive, to, to be honest. I mean, like I said, everyone's a better, it seems, these days. And if you would have said with three minutes left that, yeah, Notre Dame's not only going to win, but they're going to cover, they're going to win by a touchdown, you take that. I mean, Darren, isn't Georgia, I wouldn't say unequivocally anymore, the best team in the country, but back-to-back national champion. Didn't they win by a touchdown at Auburn, who just got smoked by Texas A&M? Like, this is college football in 2023, I think, Darren, where – like you said, you go into a hostile environment, and I was there. You mentioned that as well. I was actually on the field for that final 95-yard touchdown drive. Every single play, I was on the field. Darren, there, there were students coming down from the student <laughs> section, lining up, you know, all the people in those, like, neon-colored shirts, the stadium uh, staff, whatever you want to call them. They were lining the field and, you know, getting ready for the ultimate chaos that was going to occur on Brooksfield, I believe it's called, at Wallace Wade Stadium. And then Notre Dame slammed the door and said, nope, we're not having that. You guys can uh, go back up the steps and go home because you're not coming onto this football field tonight. So, I mean, it, it was a, an, as emphatic of a statement as it could have been for Notre Dame to say, uh-uh, we're going to win this football game, and we're going to do it rather handily. I mean, they won by a touchdown, and they took the ball away from Duke when Duke had 30 seconds to go score. It was – I mean, they snatched that game, got out of there, and, and now, Darren, I mean, the season is still alive. This is a 5-1 and one football team that has games against ranked opponents in each of the next two games. It's it's game on for Notre Dame, and then they were staring at game over. So it's an impressive thing for Notre Dame to be 5-1, and one, and I don't care how it occurred. We're going to talk about how it occurred here in a minute. Yes. But like you said, Darren, a win is a win, especially in 2023 in college football. I will say this going forward. The one thing that really concerns me, and maybe this came to mind because of all the self-inflicted pre-snap penalties that occurred in this game, and I'm counting lining up offsides as a pre-snap penalty. I don't know if that's 
the right thing to do statistically, officially or not. But there were eight self-inflicted penalties in this game. And I just bring it up. I fear that with so many games in a row and so many emotional games against tough opponents, I hope they don't run out of gas until after the USC game. You think about playing Tennessee State rather than taking a bye. So all of a sudden you're playing eight consecutive games and starting with Ohio State and then Duke, those were two physical football games. Duke might have been more physical than Ohio State, and Lou Holtz will love to hear that. But Duke, man, they came out and played a pound physical type football game. You got Louisville this week on the road, and then you got USC. Playing eight games in a row in today's football is tough, let alone consecutively. So I just worry that emotionally and physically at some point, they might start to hit empty, even though what Marcus always says is right. You only get 12 chances, and you got to be prepared for all them. But it's a lot to ask, Tyler. These guys emotionally and physically have been through a lot the last two weeks, and you got two more to go against top 25 teams before you get that breather. Yeah, Darren, you mentioned being out of, <clears throat> out of gas as I need to take a sip of water here. <laughs> I'm out of gas after two night games in a row. Obviously, we put together our magazine overnight. I was up till 5.30, 5.45 Sunday morning. I wouldn't even call that Saturday night at that point. Notre Dame got back at 3 a.m. I think Marcus yeah. Freeman said in his press conference today, that that's a late night, and they're going to have another late night uh, this coming weekend after the Louisville game going into USC, which is going to be another emotional game against a highly ranked opponent. So – yeah, I mean, they've got to look at this in, in segments of one week, obviously, and that's what you do any week. But it's like you can't be thinking, oh, man, October 22nd, we don't have to play a football game, can't wait for the bye week because Louisville can sneak up and get you in what's probably going to be a raucous environment down there. And then Caleb Williams can get anybody. I, I don't care how bad that USC defense is. He can go and beat anybody. So you've got – if you're Notre Dame, you got to look at it as – Six games into the year, Darren, with uh, obviously the only one that you really thought Notre Dame could lose, would lose, was Ohio State, and they ended up losing it. But that was before we knew that Duke was going to be, honestly, one of the 20 best teams in the country. I can confidently say that. Maybe even top 15. Like, number 17, that was true. Notre Dame went on the road and beat truly one of the top 20 teams in the country. So, that's a great win. So not, not only does Notre Dame only have one loss halfway through the season, they also have a, a pretty good road victory against a ranked opponent. And like you said, Darren, a, a really physical, hard-nosed, well-coached football team. Like that's all cliche most of the time. But with Duke, it's true, man. These guys played hard. The quarterback is a true NFL uh, caliber prospect. I'm not sure about the passing game, but I think that's a lot of maybe Duke's inefficiencies – play calling, personnel, whatever. Like Riley Leonard is a, is a stud. He's a dude. And, and Notre Dame got after him. I know he ended up with 88 rushing yards, whatever it was, but you never thought that Riley Leonard was going to beat you with his arm. That was a credit to the Notre Dame defense. And, I mean, what can you do about a quarterback running for 88 yards when Duke decides to go quarterback power and just run it with him every single time? So you, you look at him like a running back at that point, and you held him under 100 yards. So. Yeah. I thought Notre Dame played a pretty pretty physical game itself, and and that's why the Irish were in the position to do what they did 
95 yards with two and a half minutes left is because the defense kept them in that thing. And to Sam Hartman's credit, if we want to have a, a tiny little Sam Hartman conversation, he didn't throw Notre Dame out of the ball game. Here he is, six games in, no interceptions. And I know there's been some hairy moments, some questionable calls, but zero INTs is zero INTs, man. He's thrown the second most passes of any FBS quarterback without throwing an interception this year. There's something to be said for that. There were a lot of things around Sam in that game that hurt his chances to have success prior to that final drive. And I think we're going to touch on some of those coming up. And I know a lot of our viewers who are commenting want to talk about the running game, and we're going to talk about the running game coming up here in a little bit. But I, I do want to point out something from Marcus's press conference that's already been asked here in the comment section the punt that went out of bounds, rolled at the one-yard line. We come back from commercial break, watching on TV, and the ball all of a sudden is at the 20-yard line. McPherson's punt was rolled at the one. Replay cannot get involved in that. That is not reviewable. The ACC contacted Notre Dame, admitted their mistake, that replay cannot get involved in that call. And so the ACC officials got it wrong. You can't use – videotape on that particular play did it hurt the irish now i mean you could argue that there's a big difference between the one yard line and the 20 yard line so officials got it wrong that's all we can do is accept their apology and move on but it's frustrating duke scored on that drive yeah yeah that was really did yeah that was the uh eight play 80 yard drive obviously that would have needed to have been I don't know, 12 plays, 99 yards, if, if that stands. And look, here's another part of that. <laughs> and this just goes to show you that the officials are are doubly bad in this instance. I think it was actually a touchback. Like when they reviewed it, they got it right, but they got it wrong on the field. And then they were like, hey, let's go back and review it, which was wrong to do because they're not allowed to review that play. Officials are going to official, man. And it, that was bad. That was a really bad sequence. Yep. ultimately ended up hurting Notre Dame in a way that it shouldn't have because you're not supposed to review that play. Well, <laughs> how everybody missed it is really frustrating because that's your job to know the rules, mm-hmm. simply put. Okay, before we take some of your questions, let's hear from our good friends at Augie's who provide you, the Notre Dame fan, the best opportunity to have some awesome Fighting Irish memorabilia. Yeah, here is that some of that memorabilia if you're watching on the YouTube, which, by the way, we thank everybody who's watching live. Go ahead and subscribe to this channel, like this video. We are here for Hey Horka every single Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. I think this is one of four or five live shows that we do every week. We're live after every single game. We're live on Wednesday nights. There's a recruiting show on Thursday. So subscribe to this channel, like this video. There's a whole lot more of it to come throughout the season. As for Augie's Locker Room, there are a couple more Notre Dame home games this season, and if you're coming to one of those, you've got to make it over to Augie's Locker Room. When you come, you got obviously, you got to make it to Augie's Locker Room. They have a wide selection of Notre Dame Stadium pieces, jerseys, helmets, autographs, one-of-a-kind Rockney items. You can find exclusive Joe Montana-signed items, famous sculptor Jerry McKenna's replicas of the bronze statues around the stadium. Augie gets new items all the time. If he doesn't have what you're looking for, he'll find it. Just go there, talk to him about it. He will get you hooked up. 1811 South Bend Avenue, which is right around the corner from campus. And if you need to call him, if if you like what you see here, or again, you want to find something that he might not have, 
Call him at 574-277-6363. This website that you're looking at, if you're watching the YouTube, is Um, Yeah, I can't wait for another home game, honestly. These travel weeks, Darren, they take it out of me. I'm almost as tired right now as I am coming back from that Ireland game. Just is something about the 730 game, the travel. Uh, and like you said, we're only we're only halfway through this little stretch of four in a row, which what was the stat? It's I, I think it's the first time ever Notre Dame is playing four night games in a row. And then on top on top of that, you're adding in the first time since 2000 playing four ranked teams in a row. Like we've been saying it all year. This schedule is tough. And, and I, I stand by it right now. I know Notre Dame's 10th in the Associated Press poll, but if you find a way to go 11 and one, like th- this is a college football playoff schedule. If, if you're 11 and one at the end of this thing, it just, it just feels like that. No question. All right. Ready to take some questions? Let's do it, man. Let's remind folks, we would love for you to like this video and subscribe to the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. We begin with B. Smitty 8. Hey, Horka, what is the primary issue with the Notre Dame offense? So I went really like granular with this answer and, and just picked out one specific thing. And, and this is specific to the Duke game as well. I didn't crunch the numbers from the Ohio State game. But let, let me say this, uh, uh, like before we get to any of this small detail stuff. They played two really good football teams the last two games. Like Ohio State is one of the five to ten best teams in the country, no matter what Lou Holtz says about physicality and whatnot. That's a top five, top ten football team. Duke, like I just said a couple minutes ago, that's a top 15, top 20 team. So it's not going to look like it did against Central Michigan for Notre Dame in those games offensively. Tennessee State, even NC State, and obviously Navy – like the, the, the level of competition ramped up. That's why you saw more three and outs. That's why you saw Sam Hartman look human and not like the Heisman Trophy candidate that he was through four games. However, here's one thing, Darren, that I didn't like. And when I saw this stat, I was like, that's an issue. And that might be the biggest issue, which is the answer to this question that I'm about to pop up on the screen, the one that you just asked me. What's the primary issue? Notre Dame was three of 15 on third down versus Duke. Okay, third down's a problem. Why is third down a problem? The average third down distance, the lot, you know, distance to go for Notre Dame on third down on those 15 third downs, 8.9 yards. 8.9 yards. That's basically, you know, that's nine out of 10 on the chain gang right there. Like they're, they're moving a yard. If you're only moving a yard on the first two plays of every series that goes three plays, you're behind the chains. You're not on time. So for me, Darren, the biggest issue with this Notre Dame offense right now is the fact that on first and 10, they're running it into the gut with Audric Estime, who right now looks a little hesitant to me. And I think Marcus Freeman spoke to that in his press conference today when he said, got to be a little bit more decisive. The footwork's got to be better. You got to know where you're running. Like, like in that game against Duke, outside of the 30-yard touchdown where he absolutely knew when he where he was running, which was the end zone. Audric doesn't look great to me. Maybe that has to do a little bit with the blocking, obviously. Duke was sending dudes to the line of scrimmage like crazy. They, was, they sold out to stop the Notre Dame running game, and for the most part, they did. But, man, if you're only gaining a yard, Darren, before third down, like if you're facing third and nine every single time that you're on third down – you're going to come off the field 
Like, like you're not going to convert many of those, and that's what happened. Notre Dame was 3 of 15 on third down against Duke. I'm going to build on your comments. And I think a major reason why Audric did not have many holes in this game is the fact that the Notre Dame wide receivers were handled by the Duke secondary. They could put more emphasis on stopping the Notre Dame run game because they weren't scared of the Irish wide receivers. They were targeted, what, 10 times in this game, and there were four catches. That was the wide receiving core's production. And I guess the best way to put it is the Irish have Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart, and they can shut down the opponent wide receivers. Well, in this case, whoever the Duke corners were, either they were doing a great job, the Irish receivers were not getting separation, a combination of both, but the Duke defense sat on the run game, which made it very difficult. Now, we hear about the Irish running backs. They need to show patience and wait for things to develop. Well, in this case, Audric was waiting and nothing opened up. To build on that, here's my question that I don't have an answer to. But I was told by a couple of people that Mel Kuyper of ESPN has Audric Estimate as his number one running back in the draft this year. I haven't had a chance to look that up, but let's say that's true. Do you think, Tyler, the number one running back in next year's NFL draft is only a guy that can run between the tackles? Don't you think that's probably a multi-dimensional guy that can run inside, outside, can catch the football, good in pass protection? you got to be well-rounded to be the number one guy. So my question is this. I only see – let me put it differently. Normally I see Andrew Kestemay running between the tackles only. Is he incapable of doing something productive running outside the tackles? Because that becomes pretty predictable if I'm a defensive coordinator. So I ask the question to the Irish fan base when we watch Audric get stuffed because Duke's sitting on the run game because they're not scared of the wide receivers. Can he run to the outside? Can Notre Dame do something to the outside to give the running game a better chance? I think they should. And I think Audric Estime can. And if those, if that's the case, it might be a Jared Parker issue, Darren, where he's a first year play caller more or less and he has this 233 pound running back and he might be sitting there thinking I've got to go up the middle with this guy because that's what he can do and we've seen it but when teams sell out and like you said when the wide receivers aren't there to be a threat and make linebackers and obviously safeties a little more aware of where those guys are on the field and they and instead of stacking the box every single play then Audrey estimate obviously gets a little bit more effective because He's got more room. So I, I think it might be a little bit of a Jared Parker thing. And, and here's another thing, Darren, to kind of go on off of this, what you kind of laid down there. When Jeremiah Love came into the game, and I don't I don't know what his statistics were. Um, he didn't get the ball a whole lot. Do you, do you have those numbers? In front of you, it seemed like all of those Jeremiah Love off carries. Exactly. And like, Audra Gessman is not – He's not as fast as Jeremiah Love, obviously. You're trying to get Jeremiah Love out in space. But Audrick Estime showed he had breakaway speed on that NC State touchdown. Like he could, and yes. that was an outside run as well. Yes, like he could do those things. Exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah. So he can do those types of things. And again, I think this is a Jared Parker thing because as, as we're having this, I started this conversation about the Notre Dame offense with that one third down thing, but like it branches out, obviously. 
why didn't we see more intentional ways to get love? Jadarian Price didn't have a single touch in this game. Remember, remember earlier in the year when they were doing those little misdirection, almost RPO type things and just dumping it off to, J- to Jadarian Price and he would go and he would gain 10 yards on the boundary toward the sideline. Like where was that in this game? If Duke was going to stack the box that much and take away Audrey Estime, why weren't they scheming up waste? Like Jeremiah Love touched the ball five times in that game. And one of them was a fake punt. That wasn't enough, especially coming off of eight carries for 57 yards against Ohio state who has even better athletes defensively. If he can do that against Ohio state, why was Jeremiah Love not getting the ball? Why did Jadarian Price not get the ball once? Tyler, do you think someone on the coaching staff, Marcus Freeman, whomever, reevaluated the usage of Estime in the Ohio State game in which he had, what, 14 of the 39 carries, and they decided, hey, let's go more with Audric in this game because you look at the numbers, he had 18 of the 32 carries, which – was different than what we saw against Ohio State. Now, I know they wanted to use the two backs a lot against Ohio State, and that took Audric off the field, which I guess I need an offensive coordinator to explain why Audric can't be one of those two guys. But it, it seems like – I don't think they over-adjusted, but they went back to what we saw against Central Michigan, and there was such an outcry by the public. And I'm not saying they changed because of the public, but we were all scratching our heads. Why was Estime not on the field in important situations? Well, he was in this game. But again, it was basically you knew the running game, what they were going to do when Audric was in the ball game. It, it just it felt a little stale. If Duke couldn't stop it, that's one thing, Tyler. But that defensive line for Duke was darn good in that game. In fact, couldn't you argue they were better than Ohio State in terms of execution? The, the way Sam Hartman spoke after the game, it, it sure yeah. sounded like he felt that was the best defensive line that Notre Dame had faced to this point. And obviously yeah. that includes Ohio State. So, yeah, I mean, that that's part of it. Like, we have to get and, – and, and the next question that we get to, which we could honestly get there uh, now if you wanted sure. to do it, because it's just an extension of this conversation. So, yeah, tell everybody what we got next because it, yeah. it kind of goes off of all of these things. Yeah, next we have Arrowfan624. How would you assign percentages of blame for the struggles of the Notre Dame offense versus Duke? I mean, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of tentacles on this one. And I yeah, think and he he did um kind of give a qualifier there and he he laid out the I don't know what you the pieces of the uh, the pie chart, if you will, like this, this is what we're assigning percentages to Jared Parker's game planning slash play calling a lack of wide receiver depth Big. Duke's performance, which we were just talking about Big. Sam Hartman's performance. We have to factor that in, obviously, and the offensive lines performance. So I usually write my Hey Horka article that kind of goes over these questions and a lot more. If you're you're not signed up for blueandgold.com, definitely do that because you have a chance to ask me these questions that we ultimately use for this show and then much more. I mean, there's probably 15 to 20 questions that I answered in this article that I'm reading off of right now. So I'll I'll just go for it. And I don't don't know if you've made up your mind on any of this, but you can chime in whenever you want, Darren. But I went with wide receivers – 30%. 30%. That, that was 30% of the issue to me. And when I say wide receivers and the lack of depth, as Arrowfan kind of said it, Darren, they played 
it, it was 22 all over again, 2022 all over again. It was bad. They played three wide receivers the entire game. Chris Tyree, Tobias Merriweather, Rico Flores Jr. played the entire game. Tobias Merriweather played 63 offensive snaps. He is not a good uh, – uh, look, he, he's not good enough right now to play 63 snaps. I'm just going to say it. He, he's not a 63-snap guy. He's a guy that can go out there and get you a couple catches if you scheme him up. But he was out there for – and he's been a pretty good blocker in his career. I will give him that. But he's blocking. He's running routes. I mean, he's out there for pretty much every offensive play. I think the offensive linemen in this game, I don't know how many how many plays did Notre Dame have. How many offensive plays – I'm, I'm I'm not on a good uh, website to look at that right now, but I think it was like in the 60 to 70 range. Darren, Tobias Merriweather played every single snap in this game almost. That's a depth thing. Obviously, you're missing Jaden Greathouse. You're missing Jaden Thomas, but you, t- you factor in missing those two guys and then the guys that you actually have playing. There wasn't a whole lot that Jared Parker, Sam Hartman could do about the passing game. And that's why you saw Mitchell Evans catch six passes for 134 yards. Like they needed him to do that. Otherwise, Notre Dame wasn't winning this game. I I think 30% is fair, Darren. I, I think Notre Dame was that affected without these guys in and the guys that they did have in. And that led to Duke's performance being better because they could yeah. hone in on the running game, as we just talked yeah. about. There's so, so much. Yeah, with, with, with that. I went 30% for Duke, too. So now we're up to 60%. I went 30% Notre Dame's wide receivers being what they are, what they were, missing who they were. Like, that was a big deal in this game. I actually asked Marcus Freeman about it today because if you go back and rewatch that game, watch it for the first time, you can immediately tell, like, okay, one, all Sam Hartman's doing is targeting the tight end because that's all he can do. And then, two, nobody else is getting open. So, like, what are you supposed to do? And then you key in on Audric Estime, and you know that you're not going to get beat over the top by any of these guys. It just devolves the whole thing, and that made Duke look better. Duke is already really good, but when that's the circumstance and that's the situation, they're going to look even better. So that's why I have wide receivers 30%, Duke's performance 30%. That That's over half the pie for me were those two things, and they worked in tandem. When I saw this question, I thought back in the day, if you asked Bob Knight a percentage question, he would have said 30.67543.87 percentage was the performance of, the, of Duke. So I'm going to use your percentages. I'm going to play along with you. I, I want to say this because there is a lot of conversation about Tobias Merriweather. The one thing I love about being in the media, we get to read – all of the the fans' complaints, what they're happy about. And I think it helps us do our jobs. It makes us stop and think, oh, am I missing this? What if I look at something this way? So I appreciate the fan base's opinions. I get them in emails, social media. But all last year, all we heard was Tobias Merriweather needs to be on the field. Free Tobias. Free Tobias. Free Tobias. That was what we heard. We can't help answer that question because we're not in practice back in the 80s and 90s we could stand in practice and we could say well here's what he's doing in practice but we're not allowed in during the season anymore so we heard all of your complaints that Tobias wasn't playing this might be a reminder that the coaches are going to play the best players and I'm betting he wasn't ready to go last year I remember a game we were at at Notre Dame Stadium he lined up wrong and it threw off the whole play came to the sideline he got an earful because he didn't line up right So now we're starting to hear, well, Braylon James needs to be playing. I think we just need to let things play out because I guarantee you, 
Tyler, and you know the talents of this kid, a tremendous upside. If he was ready, he'd have been on the field against Duke. But I'm betting because he wasn't, he's still, as Brian Kelly used to say, in the oven. He's still getting prepared. So I think last year with Merriweather was a good teaching tool for all of us. Just because we think, wow, this guy's high school tape was great and the coach says this and the coach says that, we got to respect the coaching staff and their opinion on whether a kid can help the team or not. I mean, this team was down to basically three guys at wide receiver on Saturday. And I guarantee you, Tyler, if they thought James was ready, he would have been out there to try something else because what we had going on wasn't good enough. Totally agree. And I think Drew Borinsky here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's saying that I need to be a little more lenient or less harsh because this is the situation. He says they only have eight on scholarship, four are hurt. The other is a freshman who came in the summer and two others are freshmen from the spring. Yeah, that that's the problem, Drew. That That's what we're talking about here. That's why I put 30% of the blame for the way the Notre Dame offense performed or didn't perform in that game on the wide receivers. Like it, it as a whole, it, it's an issue. It's still an issue. It's better than it was last year, but it was never going to be solved overnight. And then when you do factor in injuries, it's going to feel a whole lot like last year. So can I pose a question to you to help with your percentage numbers mm-hmm. that you're coming up with? So we've already established this, the Duke defense in particular, the defensive line was really, really good. We've established that the Notre Dame receivers didn't get the separation necessary. The Duke secondary was good. A combination of both affected the Notre Dame offense, correct? Yep. The Irish offensive line, maybe because Duke was really good up front, they took a step back in in particular the interior of the offensive line. Fair? Yeah. The running game wasn't what we expected to be. A lot of that had to do with Duke as well. So that's a major factor, right? Yes. So can someone explain to me how people are being critical of Sam Hartman today (laughs) before that final drive? Because we just listed all these things around our 24-year-old quarterback that did not do a good enough job consistently in this game. It wasn't all bad. There were good parts. Don't don't get me wrong. But to hear Sam Hartman had a bad day, Sam Hartman didn't do this, I think he was put in a very difficult spot with everything that was going around with him with the offense. And some of that had to do with Duke's defensive performance. So before that last drive, when he was spectacular and saved the day, I have a hard time listening to Sam Harbert wasn't that good. Did he miss a couple of throws? He normally hits. Absolutely. But Tyler, there were a lot of things that were working against Sam in this game. So I don't think Sam's a place to go very much in this conversation. Yeah, I get the uh, the article that I wrote. I, I probably would have switched my last two. So we, we did two of them. We're up to 60%. I put 20% on the, on the blame on Jared Parker because I don't think this was his best stuff. Yeah. I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show. Where are those de- design little dump offs to running back? You, you want to talk up the talk up these running backs so badly, the five-headed monster. How do you get one of the heads of those monsters not even involved? And, and Jadarian right. Price, who's been really effective 
with the football. Jeremiah Love's coming off his best game of the year against Ohio State. I mean, I, I put a little clip out there on social media of every single carry that he had in that game. Even his one-yard carries, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a monster. And then he takes a punt 34 yards, to punt, you know, the, the fake punt. And it seems like he didn't touch the ball again for, for far too long. I, I can tell you how long it took for him to touch the ball again. And he only touched the ball five times. Uh, so he did have one more carry in the first quarter for four yards. Then he had one carry in the second quarter for a yard. Then we didn't see him again touch the ball until the fourth quarter, Darren. There are yeah. some people out there saying that Jeremiah Love is this team's unequivocal second-best running back. It might be. I, I think he might be a little – like his ceiling might be a little better than Jadarian Price's. But yeah. right now, in, in this stage of their careers, you're splitting hairs. You know that they're both really good football players. How the heck do you not get them more involved, especially when Audrey Estime is getting bottled up? If you're only going to run Audrey Estime up the middle, how are you not getting these other guys involved? Especially when the wide receivers – like you've got skilled players available. Just because Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse weren't playing doesn't mean, oh, man, we got nobody but Sam Hartman and Audrey Estime. That's not the case. So I put 20% of the blame on Jared Parker just because I don't think this yeah. was his best game. Yeah, I, and just, then, I was surprised by some of the fans just – like, well, Sam missed passes that he normally hits. And, and I, I I get that. I get that. But I'm just glad in the percentages, I like the direction you're going. So I'll yeah, let you continue. It, it, here's where I messed up because I I put Hartman at 15%. And my and, and the offensive line should probably be 15% or maybe 10-10. Maybe you go 10-10 with those two because at the end of the day, Hartman only completed – 30% of his passes or 50% of his pass, 15 of 30 for uh, 222 yards. I think it was you complete three to five more passes. I think you all of a sudden, like, like if you're assigning Sam Hartman, a letter grade, when you include that 95 yard drive, it was probably B like, like B material. I, I can't give him an A because he missed sure. like, like that drive itself was an A like, Holy yeah. cow. What a drive. But this is a 60-minute football game, and there were some three and outs in there. There were some missed throws. Uh, but but here's the thing about Sam Hartman. It, like when I when I see the criticism of him from this game, Darren, and you've probably seen this as well, he's holding on to the ball for too long. Why? <laughs> why is he holding on to the you need to ask yourself why? Because there's nobody open down the field. That's it, man. So like if you're if you're mad at Sam Hartman for not throwing the ball, do you want him to throw the ball at the back of a defensive? Like, do you want do you want Sam Hartman to throw an interception? He hasn't thrown one all year. Is that what you want? Because if you pull the trigger, that's like he's not forcing anything. Because if he's throwing it, he would have to really force some things. Like in those instances where he's back there and he's looking around and you're like, throw the ball, throw the ball. Probably gonna be a pick. Probably there are not good, good incompletions. There are good incompletions at times. Yeah. And he had a few of those in this game. Yeah. And there's good scrambles that only net you a couple yards. And he had a couple of those too. I mean, and then obviously the scramble, like I, th I thought he played a pretty good football game. Like it was another one of those games. Ryan day. Called, I, I like what Ryan day said about this, the matchup games. Like this was a matchup game. As soon as we knew that it was going to be, like a tug of war tussle and it's going to go this way. Then it's going to go that way. You cannot 
go willy-nilly. And I think Sam Hartman went willy-nilly a little bit at Wake Forest. And that's why you saw those three interception games because he knew we, we don't want to get into a matchup game at Wake Forest because we probably don't have the tools for that. That's why you saw all the picks. Sam Hartman knows that he can get in a matchup game at Notre Dame because even if we're going to talk down about these wide receivers and the offensive line not playing its best and all those things, he's still surrounded by a better supporting cast at Notre Dame. So he's not forcing anything. Lo and behold, in the last two ball games against ranked teams, Notre Dame's had a really good shot to win both of those. And, and Sam Hartman's had a lot to do with that, even if it was only 17 points or 14 points against uh, Ohio State and then 21 points against Duke. Like these are matchup games, and he's treated it that way. Like, so it's for all the people that say, oh, you didn't go out and get Sam Hartman to, to be in these low scoring games and for it to look like this, he just won you the ball game on the road against a ranked team and Notre Dame should have beat Ohio state too. Like, and I, the offense kind of lost that one. Honestly, they needed to run the clock out against Ohio state. That conversation's in the past, but like the, the whole, you didn't get Sam Hartman for this. I, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that already. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And for those that are saying they need to be less predictable with the running game, I buy into that. I've yes. seen people say, what about a wide receiver screen? try to do something to take the pressure off of the Duke blitz getting into that interior of the offensive line and causing problems. You know, I can live with that too. Those are things that came to mind for me in this game, but I give Duke a lot of credit. They were better defensively up front than I imagined they were going to be. I thought Notre Dame would run the ball really well in this game and they did not. So I think it's going to be interesting to see the Parker adjustment to what we saw now, I don't think Louisville up front is what Duke is. So I, I think there's going to be that ability to run the football like we've seen all year, but that's got to be a learning point for the offensive coaching staff when it's not going well between the tackles. How are we going to adjust to that when a team isn't afraid of the Irish wide receivers? What is the adjustment to that? And again, I'll go back to what I said a moment ago. If there is someone on this roster better than number five, they would be out there because it's not like they're trying to lose the game by keeping them out there. If there was someone better, they would have them out there, but they were really limited in the adjustments they can make in that particular ball game at wide receiver. Yeah, yeah for sure. There, there was nobody. Um, and I don't want to speculate here, and it hasn't been talked about a whole lot, but I caught something in the post-game press conference from Marcus Freeman, just like in the way he delivered it and the way that he said it. Maybe Braylon James is dealing with some sort of nagging ailment, injury, whatever it is. Or like you were saying earlier, Darren, maybe he's just like literally not ready to, to play because Marcus Freeman said something about like, if Braylon was ready, he'd have been out there. My mind was like, uh, coaches aren't going to throw a guy under the bus for not being like ready to play. So for me, it was, maybe he's dinged up a little bit and like and couldn't play or, or shouldn't have been out there for whatever reason. So yeah, everyone was going to be calling for him. I asked about Braylon James in the Thursday leading up to the game, because th like if there was ever a, a Braylon James game, yes. it would have been this. And the fact that it wasn't so something is, is there. It's either he's dinged up or you were talking about it earlier. He's just not ready. Like Tobias Merriweather, this is Tobias Merriweather 2.0. Tobias Merriweather wasn't ready last year and you didn't see him a whole lot. And, and I think that what's happened this year is the biggest um, validation of that in a way, because Darren, he's still not like 
ready to be big time college football wide receiver. We, we've seen that. Played 63 snaps the other night. And what, and what did he have? A couple catches? A catch? Uh, zero, no, no, oops. No catches. Four targets. Good point made by our good friend Mike Singer. Remember Jordan Johnson as a freshman? Everybody yeah. wanted him to play. Yeah. Yeah, not everybody is is Jaden Greathouse who goes out there and catches two touchdowns in his first game. And by the way, Jaden Greathouse not playing. They severely missed him. You, you want screens? Darren, there's been multiple times this year where uh, they haven't been too successful, but this is that's the trust factor that we're talking about. There's been multiple times this year where Jared Parker says, okay, we're going to throw the ball to number 19 and, and just get the ball in his hands real quick and, and, and show the defense that we have that in us. Like, we can do that. There, there wasn't any of that against Duke. Yeah, and I want to go back to something Andrew just commented a moment ago. It's in my notes. We just haven't gotten to it because we've been going specifically about some different things. But just mm -hmm. like the Ohio State game, they left points on the field on offense in the first oh, half. They're up 10 nothing. They should have been up, what, 24 to nothing. it felt like. So the door yep. was left open for Duke to figure some things out. They got back in the game, and that led to the scramble at the end. But that's the second straight week where you look at the scoreboard and it just doesn't match what you felt yeah. like the actual productivity of the offense was to that point. And then in the third and fourth quarter, Duke's defense was up to the challenge and then the game was on when maybe it shouldn't have been. A hundred percent. And that's, to me, that's a little less um, personnel and execution. It is a little execution, but like, I think that's just an, overall problem that Notre Dame has where like the elite team can step on your throat. I don't think Notre Dame has that instinctiveness yet. And, and you would have hoped that Notre Dame would have had that with Sam Hartman. Like he comes in and immediately it's like, okay, yeah, we can step on everyone's throat, but there's like something lacking. It's, it feels like second year head coach. It feels like first year offensive coordinator defensive coordinator who's come under a little bit of scrutiny like doesn't it feel like if you were trying to close a circle and say okay yep we we can literally draw a complete line around everything that Notre Dame is it feels like there's a little bit of that circle that's open and like stuff is being poured out other stuff's coming in like you can't fully close the circle on what Notre Dame is and that's part of the reason why they're not but like, yeah, I 100% agree, Darren. That, that game should have been 21 to nothing at halftime. You're feeling like you're going to coast. Maybe Duke scores a couple times in the second half, but really all you have to do is score once and the game's over. Like Notre Dame wins 28 to 14 or something. Not the case. Notre Dame had to score in the last minute of the ball game to win 21 to 14. It didn't feel like it should have been that way. I want to get your take on this because maybe you looked at this situation differently. Before I get to my comment and question, did, have you watched the TV copy of the game yet? I haven't. I usually do that yeah. Monday night, Monday okay. night, Tuesday morning. I wish I would do it for these shows, but uh, this is all time of the day. Yeah, there's. I not. get it. No, I get it. Being on the road. So here's my thought, and I'm going to defend Audic estimate for a second because Hartman, with the play of the year. Scrambles 17 yards on fourth and 16 to get to what the Duke 31 yard line. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everybody's got to rush to the line of scrimmage and get set. As I watch the game on TV, Hartman's looking to the sideline, wanting the next play. And based on what I witnessed on TV, the call didn't come in quick enough. Mm -hmm. 
And at some point, I don't know if he just called a play or the call finally came in. Whatever the case may be, they got to the line. Estime took off and scored. So then we hear in the post game, Marcus say, well, he should have laid down at the one yard line. Now we can have a totally different conversation about that. But my thought is this. If my perception of the moment is correct, that the play call did not come in quick enough, and you see Hartman like, come on, come on, come on. If you get that in quicker, to me, that gives every player on offense a chance to reassess the situation. And maybe someone thinks about, if I do this, I have to go down to the one-yard line. I just felt like there was a moment, maybe the coaches were trying to decide, do we keep going? Do we just center the football and play for the field goal? I don't know if everybody was on the same page, but it just felt like for a second there, holy cow, are we going to waste this opportunity? Because Sam was looking at the sideline a long, long time. That's the operational stuff that I'm talking about, Darren. That's second year head coach. That's first year offensive coordinator. That's new quarterback mixed in with those guys. Um, Marcus Freeman talked a little bit about that today and he admitted it was as soon as, uh Hartman got to the 30 after that scramble and they were in field goal range the call was always going to be center the ball run the time out yeah I know I, I don't like that either but that's what it was that's a 48 yard field goal you're centering it <laughs> yeah and he missed a 35 37 yarder he missed it he made a 35 yarder yeah I got it right here 35 yeah, he missed from 37. He made from 35. Made from 45, so it would have been around there. Like, he's got the leg for that, but holy cow. But history this year shows it's 50-50, right? On yeah, that it, it is. And he already made his 45-yarder earlier in the game, so he probably would have missed that one. Uh, yeah, I, I want people in the comments right now to kind of sound off how they were feeling if that game would have gone down to game-winning 47-yarder. Like, oh, my gosh. Uh, this is Audric Estime appreciation moment because when I was standing there on the field, and by the way, I'm in that end zone right there. If you go back and watch those plays, uh, specifically the Tobias Merriweather offensive pass interference, I kind of called it at the time. I, I turned to somebody else on the beat. I was like, that's offensive pass interference because I was standing right there. So I was standing right there for the Audric Estime touchdown. When he ran that thing in, my mind just went, holy cow. He, he just completely saved this game because yes, I was, in, I was envisioning Spencer Schrader, missed field goal 30 seconds you know Duke takes one knee 30 seconds later everyone's on the field Notre Dame had one right in their grip again and let it go I, I was like oh my gosh but Audrey Gestime was like no sir I'm not and it's crazy because you watch that play he is literally running to the middle of the hash and he's and he's being re he's like ready to get tackled over there and then all of a sudden he's, he squirts out to the right like that is a game-saving season-saving play and and good on him for like staying up because when you the whole thing that sparked this conversation Darren was Notre Dame didn't know what it was doing until finally it did and it was like okay let's center this ball there's a lot of guys who would center the ball and just kind of fall down there because that's what they were told Audra Gestime stayed up stayed up stayed up and he's like I could score a touchdown here and then yeah this there are certain situations where it's like yeah go down at the one that makes sense like even last night, you guys watched Sunday Night Football when Patrick Mahomes fell down inside the five. They were up 23 to 20. Yes. He could have scored that, honestly, and they still would have won the game. Like, it would have got, it would have been 30 to 20, 
at that point, the Jets need to score twice in the last two minutes of the game. Like that's not happening. But for this one with Estime, you go down, you're, you're losing. You're losing the game. If you go down at the one-yard line, you still have to make a play to win, and that would be a field goal, which, by the way, we're talking right now in the comments. Uh, I don't think we wanted Notre Dame to be kicking a field goal, even if it was uh, – what is a field goal from the one-yard line? It's like 19-yard field goal? Yeah. No, you, you don't want you don't want that. So I have no problem with Audrey Gassimiso. I think he should have scored. He, he won the game with that play, and then Howard Cross sealed it with the fumble. So – Rich Carlos of my Broncos missed a 19-yard field goal in Super Bowl 21. So oh, anything's yeah, it, possible. It and, and this and is I'll college have... football, Darren. This is college football. The operation, yeah. the, the hash is a little wider. Like, you it, know what I think scoring did? It saved a lot of criticism for a second straight week of late-game decisions. Had they played for the center of the field and relied on a 48-yard field goal, and if that would have been missed – what would we be talking about today? Strategy at the end of games for a second consecutive yeah. week. Second consecutive week. You're right. So I am thankful Estime scored. When I'm behind, I score. I, I get the analytics. I get all that. But when I'm behind, I score. If it's tied, maybe I look at it different. But we've seen fumbles on the one-yard line. It was the South Florida game, Notre Dame, years and years ago. When Dane Chris fumbled the ball on the one-yard line and they took it the other way for a touchdown. So I've lived that moment. I'm glad Audric scored. Yeah, <laughs> and you're only behind by a point, which Notre Dame did the right thing. Go for two, got it. At that point, you can't lose unless Duke goes however many yards in 30 seconds and elects to go for two and says, you know what, we're going to end it right here. That would have been the only way Notre Dame lost that game after doing what Audric Estimate did. He did the right thing. I, I'm – if I'm 233 pounds and I have the ability to run 30 yards when you least expect it, I am crossing the goal line. All right, let's sneak in one more question in this segment. Does Marcus Freeman need to be less of a player's coach and more of a disciplinarian? That's from Han92. Yeah, so this has to do with the 12 penalties, obviously. And if you see a Nick Saban-led team take 12 penalties, he's taking the headset off, he's throwing it down, he's getting in people's faces yelling at players and coaches. So that's how I'm going to preface the answer to this. We don't have to spend too much time on it. We all know that Marcus Freeman's a player's coach, and that's yep. fine. They can yep. win. But I've always been of the thinking that the best coaches in college football have a little bit of a mean streak, Darren. They are the Nick Sabans, and they will get in your face. Say what you want about Brian Kelly. I know he's got a two-loss football team, and they're searching for answers. But at the end of the day, you call him a good football coach, like he's had a good career. He's got a mean streak. There are memes of him out there with bloodshot face and purple face, and you're just screaming like he's a good football coach. He's got a mean streak. Urban Meyer, the stories about that guy, some of them crossing the line a little bit too far. He won national championships, man. He had a mean streak. Like, I'm not saying Marcus Freeman can't win a national championship doing it his way and being a player's coach. These guys love him, man. He's going to recruit at a really high level. But all I'm saying is, Maybe sometimes if your center is false starting, like, I don't know. I think Zeke Carell had two false starts in the first quarter of that game. It, like, on the road, raucous environment. If you got to shake some heads and get in people's faces for that to stop, then you do it. Like, that's football, man. It's, it's not all nice guy time out there. So I would be fine 
And this is this is all I need to say for my piece on this, Darren. You can say a little bit yourself. I'd be fine if he got a little angry at his guys every now and again. Like 12 penalties on the road at Duke, that's too much. That's not a winning number. You can argue that they almost lost that game because of that number. Eight self-inflicted, no doubt. Yeah. I'm totally fine with the way Marcus handles the football team. The kids respect him, and we just yeah. spent time last week saying that he saved the season last year by keeping the team together. When they lost to Stanford, they were 3-3. Three and three. That thing could have went downhill, kept the team together. So I respect the way he handles the football team, and there are many ways to coach a football team. So that's way down my list of concerns. And I saw someone in the comment area saying, well, yep. Marcus needs to hire, like, a bench coach to help him with decisions. The Broncos actually did that last year with Nathaniel Hackett. He was so awful in making decisions. They hired a guy to make the decisions. We're not at that point, but I just want to point out that's not unprecedented. That actually happened last year. So, and that was in the NFL, Tyler, where you should never have to worry about that. Okay, well, despite all your travels and the many hours of you working and writing, what, 20 stories a day, <laughs> Tyler, I have to say, and everybody will agree on this chat, your skin, look at that, is just glowing. Compared to mine, I look pale and pasty. You are glowing right now. What is your secret? It's called Air Lab, man. And it, I can honestly attest that I've been using it for the last three weeks, and it's been great. Like, I feel refreshed when I wake up. I feel refreshed when I go to bed. I mentioned I was up till 5.45 a.m. writing about this Duke game. The first thing I thought was, man, for these two hours of sleep that I do have, and you can see it in the little gift there if you're watching the YouTube, Caldera Lab has this thing called the Icon, which is basically just like a little thing that you put on your finger, you rub it around your eyes, takes those dark circles away. And I, I've honestly been a guy who's had dark circles. I know I'm only 28 years old, but it feels like I was 12 years old and I had dark circles. Like that, that's just a human thing. This thing, Icon, takes it away. That's only a small part of the Caldera Lab as well. There's a three-part regimen. It's called The Regimen. It has the clean slate, which is your cleanser, gets you clean, gets you cleaned up, takes all that dirt and grime off your face. The base layer, that's your moisturizer. That's probably the secret, honestly. The, if you're sunburned, what do you do? You put on aloe vera, you put on lotion, it heals your skin. If your face is dry, which, by the way, we live in South Bend, Indiana, Darren, our faces are going to be very dry in a couple of months because it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. You want to put that base layer on. It's going to moisturize your face. The good takes it a little step further than that base layer. It's a multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter, smoother, takes away those wrinkles, fine lines. Every drop of the serum has 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. So if South Bend weather gets to you and all of a sudden you start to notice a little bit more fine lines, wrinkles, you put that on there takes it away. 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger looking appearance after using Caldera Lab for a few weeks. Testament enough right here. I'm only 28. I get it. Uh, I'm starting from, like, like Harbaugh said with uh, Ryan Day, I'm starting from third base right now. Okay. At some point I'm going to back up to second base. I'll be on first. Then I'm in the batter's box, probably striking out like a lot of you guys are right now. But if you want to hit a double, triple home run, get Caldera Lab, go to their website right now, 20% off with the code BGI23. So, I mean, the best thing that you can do to look younger is just be younger. I have that advantage right now. But, man, if, if you want to start hitting some singles, doubles, triples, home runs, Caldera Lab, it's the way to go. Read drunk Vigo's comments that just came in. 
Hey, he's been in the, he's been active in the chat all day. Why why is this the uh, perfect place to promote the product? Oh, we all have. Talk, yeah, I know. I'm talking to a good consumer base. Okay, I get it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Lab is very smart. Go to a place where there's a lot of stress, and you <laughs> yes. come to the right place. A lot of stress. Holy Absolutely. cow! We all lost the uh, a little bit of time off our lives from that game Saturday, man. I I I cannot stress this enough, Darren. I'm literally walking down to the field for that game, and I look at uh, one of our esteemed colleagues in the media. And I told him, there's no way Notre Dame wins this football game. And then two seconds after that, false start, backs it up to the two and a half, as if the five-yard line wasn't bad enough, two and a half. And then I looked at him again. I was like, there's really no way Notre Dame wins this football game. Five minutes later, I'm writing about a Notre Dame victory. That's why we love this sport so much. Like crazy stuff like that can happen. It's amazing. A lot of drama the last two weeks. It'd be nice for them to go down to Louisville and (laughs) – Give us all, all right. a break. These last couple of questions, we don't have to spend too much time on them, yeah. Darren. We're almost hitting an hour. Uh, we talked about question four on the rundown there a little bit. So if you want to skip that one, yeah, if you had any other thoughts on that one, yeah, what do you think? This was about the wide receivers. I think yeah. we've taken care of that earlier in the show. Let's yeah. end with this. We've got Aerofan624. Is Louisville still a trap game now that the Cardinals are ranked? So trap game has like the most subjective of definitions of all time right there. And because something that can be a trap game to you might not be a trap game to me, vice versa. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not a guy who's like, no, this, this isn't a trap game because of this reason. Like I think there are trap qualities in a lot of different games. Like the Duke game, for example, being after Ohio state, that was a trap quality, even though, even though, on paper number 17 team in the country really good head coach really good quarterback like that's not trap game that's just really good opponent game louisville doesn't have that as much for me notre dame's facing a head coach that it's already beaten in the last couple of years and jeff brom notre dame beat purdue two seasons ago they're playing a quarterback who they've beaten two years in a row jack Plummer was the quarterback at purdue two years ago when notre dame beat the boilermakers here in south bend and then Jack Plummer was Cal's quarterback last year when Notre Dame squeaked away with a 21 to 14 victory. I think it was last year against the Cal bears. So they're familiar with this quarterback. Marcus Freeman was asked about that today. Quite frankly, I mean, he's a serviceable quarterback, but he's not an elite one by any means. Like Notre Dame shouldn't lose this game because Jack Plummer goes off. It doesn't have that type of vibe to me. Anybody who watched NC state Louisville on Friday night knows that Jack Plummer is susceptible to a little bit of poor play and i think notre dame having a really good defense will bring that out so here's why it's a little trappy to me is 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 because of all those things like notre dame can go into this game a little bit more confident and not be scared that a really good head coach is gonna get them like mike elko and i get it jeff brahms had some big wins like he beat ohio state when he was at purdue nobody saw that coming except for maybe tyler trent the the kid who passed away um Remember when he was on college game day and he called that one of the, one of the greatest moments to see him at that game, knowing that he called that game. He's in Purdue's going to beat Ohio State. That was awesome. I, I don't know if like Jeff Brom in year one at Louisville has that kind of magic. So that's why I would be a little bit scared if I'm a Notre Dame fan, because after two really big games, Darren, Notre Dame's going into this one. And I know Louisville's undefeated number 25 team in the country but it doesn't feel like that pop is there. 
And that's the trap, right? That's where it's like, okay, we're playing nobody. Oh, shoot. Now we're on our face because we didn't really respect this team. Yeah, you're right. Calling something a trap game is subjective. Everybody looks at things differently. I'm not sure you can have back-to-back trap games. Maybe you can in my world. (laughs) I I can't do that. Duke was always the trap game for me. It was after Ohio State, after all the emotion taken on that team. I just always felt like that was the one. Now, you can argue the game before USC, but I just I feel like we're having trap overload right now. Yeah, yeah it's not. It's just it's just a tough schedule, right? I mean, I we we opened the show by saying Notre Dame is going to play four ranked opponents in a row for the first time since two thousand, and that's all two and a half decades. Yeah, all undefeated teams too at the time of kickoff. Like that is nuts, and that's why I still contend. Like, like I hate this double standard thing. I didn't grow up with Notre Dame football in the way that everybody in this chat did, and you've been around it long enough, Darren. But the the Notre Dame double standard, I I cannot stand it at all. Where if Notre Dame beats Louisville on Saturday, it's because Louisville sucks, right? If Louisville wins, it's like, how did Notre Dame lose to Louisville? Like, what the heck? And I I guess that's sort of the same thing. Maybe it's not a true double standard because in both instances, you're kind of saying Louisville sucks. But like, where does Notre Dame win in that? Right? That that's what I can't stand. It's Notre Dame beats Louisville. Uh, that win didn't mean anything. Louisville beats Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's the worst team in America. Like, come on. Like, yeah. On, I, I on think, paper, this is an unbeaten team. This is a ranked team. I think Duke is better than Louisville, and yeah, I'm expecting Notre Dame to win by double digits at Louisville. I'm not saying 30, <laughs> but I think they win this game by double digits. And let me address one thing that came up in the comments a second ago. And it's sure. worth pointing out because the rules in the NFL and college are different. But John just asked, did they not even appeal the Botello targeting suspension? And it's worth noting, and this was explained on the TV broadcast, that targeting does not have to be to the helmet. Using the crown of your helmet as a leading factor, hitting him in the ankle, the backside, wherever, is targeting. So Notre Dame did not complain, you noticed. And there's the not irony. Really any appealing of it because yeah. he hit him in the hip or the backside, but it was with the crown of the helmet. And that's just like hitting him in the head. So it doesn't have to be head specific where the crown hit. The irony in it is the refs, the officials, the replay crew, they're trying to protect Jordan Batello yes. in that situation. They're trying to send a message to him and say, hey, you did this. You shouldn't do this. Now you have a whole half of football against Louisville to think about not doing that again. So it sucks because Jordan Patella wasn't going in there to harm himself or harm that player. He was just trying to make a tackle and football is a fast physical game. And that's what happened. But yeah, I think you nailed it. And then the the, the other important part of that is they're trying to send a message to Patello. Hey, you can't do this. I'm going to end with two things in my notes that we did not touch on, but I think we need to because it can't be just all about what went wrong. I have written down Al Golden called a terrific game, well executed by the defense throughout the ball game. I thought Al had a heck of a plan, and especially in the first half, other than that one drive, they missed an easy field goal. I thought the defense was up to the challenge and probably deserved a better fate not having to strip the football away in the closing moments of the game. Yeah, here's a drive chart. Uh, the field goal attempt that you were mentioning missed. Interception, 
punt, 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 field goal attempt. I think that was a another miss, right? They missed two field goals in the, yeah, that was a, that was right before the half. Uh, punt, and then credit Duke for being a good football team and making some adjustments in the second half. I think they ran Riley Leonard a lot more and yes. said, "Hey, Notre Dame's trying to sell out on all these different things. They're he's, they're not going to let Leonard beat them with the with the arm." So they started running, and they had a couple touchdowns in the span of two drives. That's just Duke being a good football team. That's making adjustments. But, yeah, when it mattered most, uh, there, there was a punt and then the fumble, obviously, the, the Howard Cross play. So, yeah, Al Golden called a great game. I think Notre Dame players played a great game. I know Maris Leofow missed a couple tackles, but holy cow, was he evident on that first drive where he's flying around the football. So uh, the Notre Dame defense is good, man. I, I told Jack Sobel, our colleague, I, I said – Dude, like I think Notre Dame's going to be in every single game that it plays the rest of the year and, and should have a chance to win every single game because the defense is going to do that. And I know Caleb Williams is, is going to score his points, but Notre Dame, just like it did just like it did last year, USC scored pretty much 40 points in every game last year. Didn't score 40 against Notre Dame. I think that's going to be the same thing this year where Caleb Williams is going to look good in that game but he's not going to be 50 points good. He might not be 40 points good. And at that point, the USC defense is so bad and the Notre Dame offense is better. It's a toss up game to me. Like, like I think Notre Dame could score enough points in that game to win. And that's partly because the defense is going to hold USC to below its average. I, I really do believe that. And there was a famous scene in the movie major league two, when someone did something very aggressive and took a chance, there was like a little thing in the dugout that happened, which I probably can't say even yeah. on the internet, but yeah. Marcus Freeman, great call on the fake punt. I'll just yeah. call it gutsy. And yeah. it was the right time to do it. Duke wasn't prepared. And that was a, you look at it now, that's a huge moment in this game with the difficulties of moving the ball consistently and scoring. That led to a touchdown. So Marcus having the guts to make that call was huge <laughs> in this game. Guts, yeah, we'll go with guts. Yeah. Um, and the and the and the most impressive thing about that to me, Darren, is we heard it in the Monday press conference. That was planned up going into the game. It wasn't just on a whim, like it wasn't. Hey, we're gonna go for a fake punt here just because I think we can. They saw some things in the Duke scout that said, "Hey, we can hit him with this." And then they got into a good posi position on the field to do it. It was early, so Duke's not expecting it, and they hit him with it. That that's coaching, man. That 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 was a good piece of coaching from Marcus Freeman, Marty Biaggi, whoever was involved. So that that was impressive. I had people on Twitter saying you could see Marcus Freeman saying we're going for it into the headset. Fortunately, there's a delay to all the TV monitors in the press box or the other team coaches. They didn't have time to see that, so everybody concerned. Oh my gosh, they could have read his lips. There's a delay in the stadium, so no one oh, saw no. it after the fact. So. You know, I think Mike Singer, um, shout out Mike Singer, our rec re recruiting reporter at blueandgold.com. He's been on his live show saying maybe Marcus Freeman should go back to play calling um, next year. We'll see. Defense? I don't know. Yeah, he, he, he's on record. You can have that conversation with him uh, when you guys do your show. Anyway, if that does happen, he would have had a play card, right? And then you can just talk into the play card. Cause I don't think Marcus Freeman carries a play card. Uh, maybe he needs to get good at like baseball talking into the glove. Does Marcus stand on the sideline with a card? I don't think um, so. Yeah. So that all I'm saying is that's probably why you saw his lips move. And cause like any trained head coach who either calls offensive or defensive plays, 
they've got the uh, the play card and they're able to talk like this. And now you can't read my lips anymore, Darren. You don't know what yeah. the heck I'm saying. You know what I mean? So help me with context. I didn't hear Mike's comments. Is he saying Marcus should take over his coordinator because Al Golden's going to get hired by someone or there needs to be a change? If Al Golden leaves. Mike has not That's said what Al I Golden. Thought. Let's be clear, people who did not <laughs> hear the context. Okay. My, my, here he is in the chat. I've been yes. summoned. Mike, we're about to sign off here, but if, if I'm pretty sure you said, like, if Al Golden ends up going okay. somewhere else or Al Golden is not here. He's not calling for Al Golden to lose his job. But I wanted to ask. For context, for people that yeah, did context not. Matters. Context matters. Because <laughs> that's major. That's major. Hey, the last thing I want to pull up, Darren, yeah. is when you said when you said uh, you, you liked that John had a question and then we pulled it up and it was the Patello thing. This is the question that I thought you were going to uh, <laughs> call up from John. John Erickson says, what we really need is a whiskey sponsor. John, I am 100% on board with that. If we could get Jameson or um, – I think it's called Teeling is the official whiskey of Notre Dame football. I've seen some ads. I actually had some when I was in Ireland. Okay. Um, these are these are free advertisements. I we, we shouldn't do free ads, but uh Jameson and, and Teeling. Hit us up, man. We we would uh I think hey Darren, if, if we just replace this uh water, which which go Rangers, obviously choked choked away the division, but we're still in the playoffs. If we replace this water with a little bit of uh, JMO or something, I wouldn't be completely opposed. Well, as a Bronco fan, I can only do that once a <laughs> <the> weekend. <laughs> hey, you're, you were having victory shots yesterday with the win over the worst team in football, though. Congratulations to you. I, I admittedly, when it was 28-7, there was a little drop or two put in, and it, you know what? It helped Russ cook, so I do what I can for the team. What can I say? All yeah. right. Well, I don't, would it be better to have a whiskey sponsor with all the games at noon or at 7.30? I'm not sure which is better. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Woo. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. And if you want more Notre Dame football conversation, my radio show, WSBTradio.com, airs at 5 Eastern time. And Tyler will be a part of that particular show. And also, Tyler will be with me on Game Day Sports Beat, 4 o'clock on Saturday, which I need to talk to you about, by the way. So anyway, guys, thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thanks for all your expertise and all your hard work getting not only the internet stories up, but also the publication as well, which you did not hold up during the show. Yeah, so it's because you have a reason to do so. No, I didn't, I didn't. You guys don't want to see this one that I have right now because I didn't go to the office today. I, I didn't get the new one. So this is okay. this is uh, all I okay. have. And yeah, so but the, new, the new one was great. I, th I think the headline was duking it out which a little play on words there and it, it was a game where notre dame and duke they duked it out man that was that was a tough physical football game and i think we encapsulated that today in the show all right and as mike singer just pointed out he's going to be on my show tomorrow to talk notre dame football recruiting so mike i will talk to you then tyler i will talk to you tonight and thanks to all of our loyal irish fans joining us probably a lot of you at work with headphones on we appreciate you joining us and we will try it again next Monday at 3 o'clock. Hey, Horka, on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Thanks for joining us, and go Irish.